As firefighters, nurses, and emergency medical professionals, we can lead extremely stressful lives. I know one of my favorite things to do to clear my head is to get lost on a trail somewhere, but I always bring the right fuel to get to the top, and that's where True Wild comes in. True Wild is all natural and includes nothing but high-quality, handcrafted ingredients to help optimize your performance during any challenge in the great outdoors or in the gym. With amazing products to help you enhance your energy, like motion, or recover your sore joints with their signature turmeric and curcumin blend, True Wild helps elevate my athletic performance. Regardless of what kind of athlete you are, they have the product for you. Yoga? Get your mind right with their adaptogen blend. Endurance athlete, get a delicious sip of their watermelon lemonade hydration complex. Use the promo code 15WILDWALL for 15% off. That's 15WILDWALL at TrueWild.com. Stay wild. No one knows better than me how monotonous and boring recertifying your BLS and ACLs can be, but not with Surefire CPR. They utilize a team of passionate instructors with real-world experience who are currently working in the field. No more outdated retirees trying to tell you about how they did in the 1980s or soccer moms who just got their BLS card last week. Surefire CPR offers a wide range of classes on days, nights, and weekends to fit your busy schedule. You'll get your recertification and card in the same day. Get your BLS research, learn about rhythms in an EKG class, get your LA fire card, or take pediatric advanced life support. They have four separate offices spreading throughout Orange, LA, and Riverside counties and offer hundreds of classes per month. Register for a class today at surefirecpr.com today and use promo code HTW10 for 10% off now. That's HTW10 for 10% off at surefirecpr.com. Another episode. Another episode. Episode doesn't matter. Mm. Yeah, we lost lost count. Cheers. And that's okay. That means we have we've we've stuck with it for more than a month, like I thought. We haven't ran out of stuff to talk about. I know. Shockingly enough, I was actually with the whole like uh, weekly topics and stuff. I was like a little concerned, and I still am. Like we're gonna run out of stuff to talk about, but there's a ton of shit that we can like dive deeper in. Yeah, but then like, like today's episode, it was about a call, and that will continually yeah. happen as long as we keep working. So, and I forget who I was talking about, but I think we've touched bases. But like, it's it's kind of cathartic. Yes, to just talk. Yeah, I so. yeah. I, but no, I think like you and Taylor, day. you and Taylor brought it up too. Mm-hmm. But I was just talking about someone else again. So, well, do you want to get yeah. into your week with that? My week. Damn, I need to write this stuff down too. <laughs> I was uh, I was replaying my week or my my shift on the way here. It was actually pretty chill. It was like my first time not working overtime in like like a month or so. And with my shift starting tomorrow, I, I'm on for a one twenty. So I'm on for five days. So I I'm trying to brace myself for that impact. Uh, but yeah, so I, I want to see you on day five. Fuck man, where's that customer I'm, I'm customer thinking, service smile? I'm, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm super grumpy. I'm already thinking about what I'm going to do with my, my two days off. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go get a haircut. I'm going to go get a massage, try to relax that first day. I'll probably just sleep most of the day. Yeah, so my, my 48 wasn't too bad. We were pretty busy, but nothing too crazy. Had a couple of peds calls. Okay. And, uh, man, peds calls, that I always like, for a guy who doesn't want kids, like I gush over little kids. Like they're so <laughs> cute. Like I had this super sweet little girl. She got bit by a German shepherd. Oh. Like right on the cheek. It was like a full-size German Shepherd, and she was only three years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had already like banded up the truck before I got there. 
but I took a, the officer that was there took a, a picture and there was like a big of volsed portion Eesh. of the cheek that was hanging off. And like, once we talked to the doctors and stuff at the hospital, they're like, uh, this might not even be stitchable. Like we can do what we can for it, but like, she's going to probably have like a pretty gnarly scar for the rest of her life. I was like, Oh, it's so sad. Oh man. And she was such a sweet little girl. Was it their dog too? Yeah. So they've, they'd only had it for like a month, but they said it was well behaved prior to this incident. So I don't know if the little girl was messing with the dog. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, if you're, if you're going to get a dog like that, you got to have to like prep them for kids and yeah, yeah. kind of do the pull on their ear, tug on their tail kind of thing and just make sure they're, they're okay with it and get used like to mess like, with their food too. Or something uh-huh. Like that. Yeah. So like I, well, granted, you know, my Husky, she, she was raised or like, uh, grew up with kids. Like I'll do that stuff just to mess with her. So like when, we are out for a walk and little kids come up and pet mm-hmm. her and stuff. She's so well behaved. Like she never ha- doesn't have that a problem with it, but yeah. Um, there was something weird about the call was, uh, I didn't notice it until after the call, like my one, the, the firefighter on the truck texted mm-hmm. me. Um, but on the way to the hospital, I noticed that the, the mom was, she was sitting on mom's lap for the ride in and the mom had, it was kind of younger. She had a bunch of tattoos and stuff and the little girl had like a smiley face drawn on her ring uh, ring finger. And then uh, she had some, some other little drawings and stuff on mm-hmm. her, her leg. And I was like, oh, are these like your mommies? And I was just trying to like calm her down and stuff and talk to her. And uh, after the call, the guy, the guy, the firefighter on the truck was like, hey, do <laughs> he was like, how'd that little girl do? I was like, oh, she did good. She's like, what about that dirt dirt bag mom? I was like, oh, geez, <laughs> super aggressive. I was like, what happened? And he was like, uh, you didn't see what was written on her hand? I was like, no, I, there was like a smiley face. He was like, oh, she must have erased it when I called her out. Uh, uh, what? So this little girl, a three-year-old little girl, yeah. uh, the mom had written fuck on her hand. And he, he was like talking very nice and polite with um, the mom and the kid. And I was over to off talking to the police officer, yeah. officer trying to get a picture of his picture of the face. So I should show the doctors. And all of a sudden, oh, so my partner told me about this afterward. And uh, he his like demeanor changed all of a sudden. He was like, what is that? What does that say? He's like, come on, man. She's three years old. What's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> and then she like, I guess, like licked her finger and erased it. And I didn't, didn't have any idea this whole yeah, yeah. thing happened. Uh, but... I, I can't imagine what the mom was thinking. Like I'm sitting here talking about the drawings on her, her hands and stuff. And then she just had recently got called out for writing something like that on her kid. Jeez. But yeah, I, I, when I heard that, I was like, Jesus, what's wrong with that woman? Like, <laughs> she's a little kid. I don't know. It was just kind of weird when I saw that. But when, uh, the doctor was checking her out, she was like, she took off the blanket and it was just kind of going like head to toe. And she had one on her leg. And I was looking at, I was like, is that a drawing or is that a real tattoo? And I like couldn't tell. It yeah. looked li- like a real tattoo. What like the they might've tattooed this little girl. And I was sitting there looking at, I was like, man, that looks legit. And you transport that? Is that a, that's what I was wondering. I was like, is this like abuse? Like, yeah. is that considered abuse? I would imagine it would be like, you're taking a child that can't consent to it. And tattoo yeah, it. yeah. So like she had a, a matching one as her mom on her leg. And, I, and it looked real so i i and i didn't know this whole, whole thing had happened prior so I, in my mind this mom was just like a loving mom it was like playing with her daughter 
And then afterward, I heard the story about the, the fuck written on this little kid's arm, hand. And I was like, oh, shit, maybe that was a real tattoo. I should like, I, I should call, follow up with, like, maybe this should be, like, a CPS. Thing yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, I wonder what, like, now I'm starting to wonder, like, how this little girl got bit by the dog kind of thing. I don't know. It was a, it was a weird situation. Dang. <laughs> and then uh, this one was less weird. So, like, the, uh, the day I was going off, I had another pediatric call. It was it was a benign call. Like this girl had absence seizures and stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, she was eleven, and she apparently she had some like kind of developmental delay, um, and she was like nonverbal. So the whole time she wasn't communicating to me. I was talking to her and trying to like um, get any kind of mm-hmm. reaction from her, and she was just very flaccid as far as her affect was concerned. But at one point, the dad was like, "Oh, you know, when when she's done with her kind of seizing and stuff and the postictal state, uh, she'll throw up." I was like, okay, so uh, she started kind of making that heaving noise. Yeah. You know, so I got a bag and I put it up to her face and I was like, okay, go ahead and throw up, dear. Uh, let it out. And she just goes, oh. and like you can see Ooh. her cheeks fill up. Ew. And then like a fucking savage <laughs> starts chewing it up. I was like, no, please, like, please spit it out, please. And you see a little bit of it just start dripping out of the side of her mouth. And I was like, please spit it out. I'm going to throw up on you. <laughs> and she just guts it like a frat boy and just swallows it. And I was so grossed out. I just looked at her. I was like, that was so gnarly. Yes. How old? 11. 11? Yeah. I was like, please spit it out. And she just wouldn't. She just chomped uh, it up and then swallowed it back down. It was uh, so gross. Damn. Uh, yeah. That, that was like, there's nothing important about that call other than I was just very impressed by that girl's ability. Like, college will suit her well. <laughs> oh, my there. I was like, God. oh, my God. It was gnarly. Ugh, it was so gross. Dang. See, like, the variance of calls in the field, whereas my week, it's like I have like one or two things that might stick out, but everything else is just it's just the same stuff that people go to the ER for. But we are getting a lot of positives. Well, at my per diem, lots yeah. of positives. Yeah, there's there's a lot of positives. Uh, I didn't I hadn't have any myself, but there was a um, so the COVID area at one of the hospitals was full, mm-hmm. completely full, and they had they got to the point where they. They had a COVID waiting in the lobby, just like outside of the hospital, waiting to find a room. Oh, really? They were trying to find anywhere to put these people, and they were completely packed. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that second wave is coming, or has come. Oh, plus the economy's open and stuff. And mm-hmm. I didn't get to actually see these the calls, but just stuff that was coming in yesterday that I thought were kind of funny. Um, 13-year-old, he uh, first time taking uh, shrooms. That a boy. Goddamn, 13? Yeah. That's been pretty intense. Four grams. I don't know how much that is. I don't either, but it sounds like a lot. It does sound like a lot. Even, even the charge nurse was like, man, I don't even know. Like, No one had to be a manual of like the dosages, but it's like, why do you come to the ER? You don't come to the ER. When I was a kid, like you just your buddies would take you home. You get hosed down in the yard maybe and thrown into bed. <laughs> like That is true. That was like kind of the thing. Like, yeah. ah, throw him in the shower and he'll sleep it <laughs> off or something. You know? Well, like with shrooms allegedly yeah <laughs> they you know they, they wear off after four hours and or a couple hours and you know there's you're not going to overdose from anything i i've never heard of anybody overdosing off shrooms usually just it's just a longer a bit. yeah so uh, i don't know what four grams is like but yeah that might be well actually you know what i think i want to say they said uh like five grams is like Terrence McKenna's what he used to call like a, a hero's dose. So like that's a it's a lot. So I remember 
when I was in high school, I think the standard, like you, an eighth of a gram, I'm assuming it would be, I, they called it an eighth, so I'm assuming it was like of a gram. Mm. So like a fraction <laughs> of what he took. So he probably took a shitload. Holy shit. Yeah. Eesh. So good for that 13 year old. He's going to go far. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Dude, the only that sticks in my mind is the one I was texting you about, where luckily we had this IO episode and I was able to uh, start an IO a few days ago, which I haven't done oh, yeah, one since right. I was in the field, but I don't know. There's a lot of ways I could tell that story. Well, I guess that will kind of lead us into what we're talking about today. Um, I will say there was one more call I had where yeah. it was like after the depressing episode, we had a guy who's just shit-faced on alcohol at a bus stop. <clears throat> He was so hammered, he was passed out in, like, a trail of ants, and they are all over him. Ugh. Oh, it's so gross. And he had, like, puke running down the sidewalk from where he, like, had thrown up. But then he was stuck in between. He was underneath, like, the bus bench awning, mm-hmm. and then in between his wheelchair. So he was, like, slumped over Ugh. in this, like, position. And he was a big dude. He was, like, 280 at least. And we had, like... And they are, you know, we try to pull him out from underneath the, the awning and of course his pants fall down and you know, it's like dicks out. <laughs> We're trying to cover him with sheets and then roll him and then there's ants and bugs everywhere and his yeah. vomit is just one of those scenes you're like, please wake up and just help us out. There's nothing. <laughs> you're just completely unconscious. Oh, it was a pain in the butt. Yeah, I promise I'll give you morphine or whatever you want. Yeah, just wake anything, up. Just please wake up. <laughs> nothing. Not, not even a, a groan the whole time. Damn. Yeah. Um, I don't really didn't think it was particularly interesting. This overdose came in yesterday. Um, he's actually a, a frequent flyer for behavioral, but he says mm-hmm. he took, he says he took five, five twenty-five milligrams of metoprolol and like he says some vodka. That's vague. Yeah. Um, but he didn't show any symptoms of a like a beta blocker overdose. Uh huh. Um, and then we weren't sure if. He wasn't sure if it was a regular extended release, so we had to monitor him for 12 hours. So I think we just ended up admitting him. But he was super drunk. It was like 0.308. So. That is, that's pretty good. That's really, yeah. That's blackout status. It is. Yeah, he was fighting and everything. He did cut himself, though, but he has a lot of superficial scars, so the, the other one was no different. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. It's, it only got just past the skin and stuff. had to be stitched up. Yeah. But yeah. So were we, was that the eye okay? It was not. That was just something, another call from yesterday. Oh, okay. So, so what was the IO one? So the IO one, I mean, I have, I have some feelings about it too, but, um, uh, EMS brought in or fire brought in ALS. This, uh, it came out as back pain, they said. Um, so I got the stories oh. from the medics yeah, and I got the story right. from the EMTs. I just, you know, cause I was like, how, how could it go sideways so fast? And, there was nothing else you can do but just scream through the door as you walk in. Hey, I think we need a bed. She looks like she's going to code. And I was like, what? Yeah, that escalated quickly. Yeah. And I was like, what are you What are you talking about? Like, you know, we're always talking like, you, you got to keep your composure the whole time. But they come in and they're like, I, I don't know what happened. Uh, she, she looks like she's going to code. Can we get a bed? And I was like, what? I was like, fuck it. Okay, so five. Five is our designated like innovation room like our mm-hmm. negative pressure room so especially gotcha. during all the covid stuff all the critical stuff will go into our bed five so we go in there she's on a non-rebreather like eyes are almost to the point she's rolling to the back of her head Jesus. cool pale diaphoretic um brady on the monitor i think the first bp we got was like 54 systolic 
Oh, that's good. Oh, yeah. And um, so this whole time, I'm like, hey, just give me a report right now. And uh, the charge nurse comes over, just throws me this. I like how our IO thing is in like a Ziploc bag. Oh. Yeah. I think someone misplaced it on the a while ago, actually. So it got replaced in this big like freezer bag of mm-hmm. Ziploc and then all the sorted stuff. Anyway, so so I get this Ziploc bag thrown at me, and I'm like, what is this? And I was like, oh, I know what this is. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh, so immediately we place an IO. I, I do proximal tib. I don't even... I don't even think we do humeral in the ER. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I was already at the foot of the bed. Yeah. So. And then, you know, I put the IO in. I get... It flushes. And then I, I draw back and it I see the like the yellow little bit of blood. So I mm-hmm. knew I had a good placement. Anyway, so the report was like, oh, she, yeah, she came out for back pain. Baseline ANO2. We walked her to the gurney and then in route. I don't know, man. You just deteriorated. And I was like, what? That That's it? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. She's like, I don't know. And then we put her on a non-read breather. And then like, uh, they were they were asking us for a BVM as soon as they rolled in and stuff like that. But you guys could, if you, I was like, wait, sorry, I'm about to go hard. Yeah. If you guys needed a BVM when you walked in, you should have gotten in the fucking back of the ambulance. Yeah. What? You didn't want to open up your own bags and your own stuff. It's like, what? You didn't want to have to go restock or something like get your shit. And I don't get, treat. Your yeah. Patient. Right. I don't like, I uh, fucking hate that stuff. I don't exactly know, especially coming, you know. Like your department, you said you guys really are heavy on like EMS and stuff like that. Yeah. So if we try to, if, if, if we had a probie or anybody for that matter do that, yeah. that shit would not fly with any of the senior guys. But the other thing too was like, okay, like I was getting pretty blase. <laughs> Damn, I just <laughs> almost yanked my headphone yeah, yeah, yeah. off. Yeah. Anyways, uh, I was pretty blase about it, but I just saw like three three two by twos taped on her like ACs and one on the forearms. I was like, okay, so you tried three IV starts. But I was like, why don't you just go straight to the IO? Like yeah. she was already like going out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. She's ano times two. She's not doing great. Like maybe just move past that. Yeah. But then I was like, okay, so what What else? What history? Uh, I don't know, man. She was just here for back pain. I was like, okay, great. Did you, uh, what were her last set of vitals? And, and then, you know, they're like, oh, we were having trouble feeling a radial. We, we didn't even get a, a pulse on the, on our on our uh, monitor and so i look over at her and like she's responding to pain uh, she's still she's still alive like i was like you mean that's a full arrest like you couldn't oh feel God. a radial yeah you couldn't get a bp and then she's like oh and we couldn't get an spo2 because like you know she's all clammy and stuff i was like is this a full arrest did, did, yeah. <laughs> yeah one is she dead and then two yeah. did you guys even put her on the monitor yeah like so then I was all back. The pain. monitor will still show you a pulse yeah. and a rhythm like did you guys even tr- pull out your monitor or were you like Oh man, uh, okay. I I'm going to surmise what happened because I know the department that is around there. <laughs> they heard tones go out for back pain. Yeah. They're like, "Oh, this is fucking bullshit." The patient probably walked out to their gurney, so they be they, they thought, "I'm just going to BLS this. Fuck this. She looks fine. She walked to the gurney." They probably didn't put her on the monitor. They didn't check a set of vial signs, and all of a sudden, she started going to shit in the back of the ambulance. And they had to hop and they're in. like, "Uh, uh let's put her on some oxygen. <laughs> I'm going to start IV." And then I guarantee they probably like taped down a fucking two by four or something Maybe. over one site. I I know some departments i've been told by some er nurses that have done that in that vicinity in those oh. departments um when i was teaching and they're like oh man some of the departments that, are, that come to our er are terrible they do this and that. i'm like no way yeah. that's nuts so i i have a feeling that's probably probably what wait wait till you get to the 12 lead part because i was like back pain going altered and i was like dude what if this is an stemi and so i was like hey what's your 12 lead read 
And um, so he's like ruffling wait, wait, through can, it. Can I just say that uh. that's a dick move? Because clearly they didn't do anything, like let alone a 12 lead. They did do a 12 lead. Oh, but they, that's shocking. But it's so funny because he like he rolls it out. Like, you know, he's really like the, the naughty or nice list from like Santa Claus or something. So he, he unfolds it like a scroll. And he's like, well, uh, it says here, uh, inferior am I. And I was like, are you kidding no. me? No. And I look over and he's reading the, the whole like age undetermined part. Oh, what a moron. So I was like. Yeah, it says inferior MI, but it says the age is undetermined. I was like, all right, moving on. I was like, dude, that, that doesn't mean anything. So, But it said sinus on there. Yeah. So I was like, okay, cool. Give me that. That's fine. Thank you. <laughs> so, what was the rhythm? Brady said? Uh, she presented Brady, uh, it, but I'm pretty sure it was like above 60. It said NSR on the top. And I was like, oh, I didn't even give a shit about it anymore. Yeah. Uh, after the, like, it says inferior something. I was like, what? Give me that. And I was like, this is undetermined. Never mind. Moving on. <laughs> so, oh, God. Uh, yeah. There's a guy at my work who will be like, oh, it's saying STEMI. I'm like, it says age undetermined. This is an old STEMI. Yeah. You're good. Calm down. <laughs> like, let's let's all chill out. Yeah, after Do that. Do you see elevation? Do you see peak T waves? Do you see anything that would in- be indicative of schema or uh, NMI? No? Okay. Let's all fucking chill out. Like, yeah. this means nothing. Dude, after that 12 leader was like, oh, yeah, it's inferior. I was like, what? I was like, oh, you don't forget it. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Just thanks, man. All right, guys. Let me. Here's my signature. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. God, um, anyways. Dude, but like, nothing happened after that like uh, after the resuscitation like she never coded we intubated mm-hmm. the io we um gave her fluids like 1500 ml bolus and then they they grabbed abgs and but after being on the vent for like five ten minutes she woke right up but she was oh. still a little hypotensive okay um her heart rate improved uh and like she was like just sitting there in bed and like her her tongue was just like flicking the tube and then she'd be Ugh. looking at me and like pointing at the tube. I was like, I can't. I'm sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Enjoy that tube in your throat. Yeah. The BP never got above. I mean, it, it got into like the low 100s, but still not nothing high enough for like really good sedation. Did they ever figure out what the etymology of all that was? Yeah. So the doc thinks it was a CO2, was it narcosis? Like hypercapnia or something. Oh, okay. Because like once we just ventilated, even with the BVM, she was getting more alert. Wow, that yeah. would have worked for the patient. I know. Way crazy. Yeah. So even with the BVM, she was starting the to come patient who couldn't protect their own airway. The, the arm <laughs> rebreather wasn't sufficient. Weird. Yep. I need a BVM. Uh, so she got admitted for respiratory arrest, but I wish there was something else that we could have. Another secondary diagnosis, but her labs looked okay, except yeah. for the ABGs. Hmm. But I was like, fucking guys. BVM and IO is something that could have been done in the in the back. Uh-huh. I, I don't know. That, that kind of stuff drives me a little crazy just because... There's certain positions I won't go too hard on because I don't know, right? Like, yeah. You know, I, I'm never going to go too hard on nurses just because I don't know the job as well. But when it comes to being a firefighter paramedic, like I know that and I know what you guys should be doing, like, yeah. especially we work in similar areas as far as like protocols concerned. Mm-hmm. Like they can't go, they can't be like, I don't want to say negligent, but like uh, they can't do so little and think somebody's not going to go, you know, mock it or, or, or you know, not think, I I think it's not up to par. Yeah. You know, cause that's just, that's fucking bush. That was, I haven't had one like that in a while. Usually like they're pretty okay. Yeah. And and then like the, the more local, like the city department, they're pretty squared away too. So yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, so I guess Anyways. that gets us into IOs. Yeah. So I think the standard IO for sure nowadays is the easy IO. Mm-hmm. You just don't see the jam sheddies, the cooks. No. The manual IO is very much anymore. 
I think the exception to that is the bone injection the, gun. The, I never used one past school. Oh, a big. Yeah. So I've used one a big once. Oh. Um, that was back back when we were in paramedic school. The uh, the department I rode out with still used them, and I didn't. Ha- I the one time I used it, it worked fine. But I had heard horror stories about how uh, it wouldn't go deep enough, or sometimes it'd go too deep because um, there's a spring loaded, right? Yeah, yeah. So it just fire in and. And you didn't really, you couldn't gauge how deep it was going to go. Um, so that was the big issue with it. But I, I just, I haven't seen those in forever. Not since, well, not in the eight, seven years that we've been paramedics. Yeah. You know, I, I was going to say the one exception for the manual, I think, uh, not, well, really manual, but not the easy IO is uh, external IOs in the military. Yeah. They use a different one. One that's, you know, I, I've seen and I've seen used, but I don't know what even know what it's called uh i know arrow the maker of ezio has a specific one for the military i think it was called the talon but uh it's like tactical some shit or huh uh, io but uh that one's still a manual but easy io is where you're going to see in pretty much all ems systems yeah. and and uh er's for nowadays at least and they're pretty easy yeah so would you like to start off with some of the things that that co-worker said wrong when she was trying to tell that new grad yeah about yeah IOs. well actually hold on i wanted to, so i i mean the whole i just want to back up like the whole reason for this episode was like you know you don't know what you don't know and like some okay, nurses yeah. aren't exposed to ios until they have to do it on a patient you know they they're not trained on it like we're heavily trained on emergency procedures and not ACLS like and stuff. Right. so it was one of the biggest things that i saw when i was teaching acls and pals was once we got to ios and we'd go over it there was a lot of blank stares with with the, the skill. Yeah. Like anytime I brought it out, talked about it, showed videos, people were like, oh my God, like I've never seen this before. I've never yeah. seen it used. Or, oh, can I try it? I'm like, absolutely. And like placement and stuff and, and what needles to use. That was so foreign to people. And these are like, you know, not ACLS for the first time. These are people who've been in the field for, right. you know, 20 years, so get more experience than me for sure. And they're still completely lost on it. So. I just renewed pals through uh, Surefire. Oh yeah, shout out. Um, but but uh, he talked about you know pediatric IO starts, and then he started showing humoral IOs videos, mm-hmm. and they were you know something off YouTube uh, for educational purposes. But it was a doctor that was just doing a bunch of live humoral IOs on people. Yeah, I used to show that video. Oh, that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, dude, the amount of gasping and cringing in in like our, the audience today was just like. Like, oh my god, does that hurt? I was like, no, not really. Yeah, yeah. So the actual yeah. insertion is is pretty painless. Like uh I showed you that little scale. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, we can post it later, but <clears throat> um in the EasyIO brochure, they actually have like, you know, what the insertion feels like. And most people rated it unconscious patients, uh two out of three out of pain uh on the pain scale. Mm-hmm. But then if you infuse it with out lidocaine. Then it goes bumps up to like eight or nine out of ten pain. So uh, if you do have a conscious patient, the infusion is going to hurt like a motherfucker. Yeah. Um, what was I saying? Backing up on that. Oh, anyways, I guess so. Oh, the thing he was talking about. Do you know? I hadn't heard this because even the kit I used mm-hmm. and the kits we used at like our old ambulance job, they were color coded. Yes. But the ones he was demonstrating was are they going away with the color codings and they're just oh, going no, with those needle are the trainers. Oh, they're just trainers. So, so the ones that are used for patients are color coded. You have yellow, blue, pink. Um, if they're a trainer, then they're red. So oh, they have the different why. sizes in 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 red. So those aren't for actual patients. Gotcha. Yeah. Little 
misinformation over there then. Yeah. Oh, is that, is that what he said? I thought they were transitioning to one color, different needle links. That's what was communicated to the, to oh, the class. Oh, no, that's wrong. All right. So those are trainers. Yeah. Anyways. <clears throat> so uh, you said with the, the color of the needles. So you have uh, pink, blue, or red. Mm-mm. I use pink. Yeah. Because I say for it's peds. for peds. Yeah. So pink, blue, and then yellow, which would be the longest needle. So we use that for, they say bariatric patients, but you also, when you're looking at your site, need to think about the adipose tissue. So, yeah, I, I, uh, so they're, they're the different sizes. It's, it's 45 millimeter, 25 millimeter and 15 millimeter. So 45 is a yellow <clears throat> more often than not. Uh, that is for the humorous site, according mm-hmm. to the brochure and um, what I've always taught. Uh, the reason being is like you have more muscle and tissue over your humeral site and you have to drill in a little further to sit into the, the center of mm-hmm. that um, medullary space compared to the tibia where there's like, if you feel your tibia, there's like what? There is pretty much just the skin, skin over yeah. the, the site, you know? So you only need the blue needle, which is the 25 millimeter. The one time I've used the yellow on the tibia, it was for a patient who uh, they're in cardiac arrest and they're... Uh, lower extremities were super edematous. Mm. So I actually had to, I had to push in her skin to get to the tibia. And like, once it sank in, I drilled into the spot and then the edema swelled up around the needle and kind of covered it. But I was able to screw on the, the lock and then still flush it. That's a lot of edema. It was gross. It was super gross. Crazy. Yeah. It was like, you know, I know it goes up to what plus three pitting edema. It was like plus five. (laughs) It was fucking gross. (laughs) Yeah. So that was the the one time I actually used the yellow on the tibia. Um, I, I've always used that. I've only had to actually go humoral site like two times. I've every, only done it on a cadaver. Oh, really? Yeah, I've been wanting to since um, taking that training class a while back. But um, I told you about that that uh, that auto ped where the guy was stuck on oh, yeah, the car. Yeah. Uh-huh. So that was the one time, one of the two times I used the humoral IO on his his humerus because his arms legs and at well everything was jelly yeah so you, and one of the contraindications you can't use it on a um a fracture site so you know obviously that's just gonna leak out but his uh his humerus and upper arm on one arm was stable so i was like fuck it this is the one that <laughs> we got you know because we can't like there was his blood pressure was like in the 50s he had yeah. no veins he had all his other bones were broken so I was like, all right, this is what we got. So then let's, let's give it a try. And um, it went in pretty good. So that was uh, the one of the few times I've used it. Usually for me, tibia is my go-to site. Yeah, uh, that's where I normally go. You can use the medial malleolus, <clears throat> which is uh, the lower tibia just above the medial malleolus. Oh, yeah. I've never done that, though. Uh, but I've never had yeah. needed to do it. And then the sternum is technically a site for certain IOs, but not for the easy IO. Flow rates, I researched some flow rates. Proximal humerus is like five liters an hour. Oh, yeah. Yeah, five liters an hour, and then the proximal tib is uh, 3,300 mLs an hour. Um, I mean, all the needles are 15 gauge. Yep. So, really good. I remember, did you ever take that recommended class when we were working at the ambulance company? Uh, I didn't, know. So, I went to it, and the guy was like uh, some ER doc in, where they have a lot of obese patients. Okay. And so, he was kind of trying to promote that that would be a really good start for like your septic patients so that's why i saw i kept seeing on um and arrow's website was like this is should be a go-to for septic patients because they were saying like um the mortality rate increases like 
seven or 10% for every hour they go without antibiotics. I was like, oh shit, that's a lot. Yeah. And you know, you don't think about it in the ER, but sometimes it will take a long time to get an IV established if they have shitty veins. And stuff yeah. Like yeah. So, so I thought that was kind of crazy. Yeah. Even, even at uh, my ER, like large board to most of the non-trauma centers is bilateral twenties. Yeah. So, I mean, I try to do an 18 if I can, but yeah, like that class was, uh, you know, he was encouraging more IO starts and septic patients. You know, I think that's one of the things that I need to overcome is the the use of IOs in conscious patients. Like I've done it a couple times. Um, I think I talked about it last last episode, but I had I did it once in a conscious patient. He was uh, 20, 21, but he was from one of those places in our old ambulance company's area oh. that they'd just always be super septic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we get there, and his he was a. Uh, he was tacking out at like 190 and he was like, his blood pressure was dog shit. He is, I, when they got to the hospital, they checked his rectal temp. It was 108 point something. 108? He was, he was Holy. like dying, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and it was, uh, it was when the Ammons company first started their ALS program. So they didn't have easy IOs. They had the Jamshetti. Mm. So that was the only time I've ever used the Jamshetti on a real patient. And I sat there and just fucking cranking on it oh, until it popped man. in this kid's leg. So he was he was completely unconscious the whole time, you know, painful stimulus, yeah, yeah. rub, nothing, IO insertion, nothing, and then once I flushed it because I was like, oh, he's unresponsive, like yeah, this yeah. isn't a big deal. I'll just flush it with a saline. He was like, yeah. <laughs> he like squirmed and moaned. I was like, so it does hurt when you insert it it that lidocaine. Uh. So uh, that was the one time I actually used the jam shetty, and I was like, you know, it, it was one of those times like, uh, you know, those those chronically ill kids in those those kind of facilities, they have just no veins available. So I think we looked, didn't see anything. We just jumped straight to IO, but it's one of those things like that. I just don't do frequently on patients who have a pulse, you know, like yeah, cardiac arrest. I'm like all about him. Hey, don't waste your time with the IV. Let's just do an IO. Right. Right. It's, it's one of those, I think, um, culture shifts that it, it's the same. Happen. I think in the ER, you, you try like three other nurses that, you know, not can get IVs before you even go to ultrasound. Mm hmm. And then I don't think IO ever comes up except for full arrest. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so the whole reason for this was uh, overheard, you know, um, a nurse giving advice to one of the new grads. And I, I know her heart was in the right place, but uh, she was just saying that um, don't be scared of like an IO. And like, I think most of the... Which is true. Right. But... <laughs> but she's like, I think most of the errors with IO is size of the needle. So she always just uses a yellow needle on everybody. And I was like, whoa. Yeah, don't do that. I was like, no. So, let's not do that. Yeah. Um, I had a four-year-old patient. And I just went straight to the yellow. I'm like, Ugh, <laughs> come on, lady. So, I mean, there was that. And then just out of context, like a few weeks later, I heard another nurse talking about an IO start on another patient. And I don't even know what needle they used, but I think they went through the bone. Because they were infusing, but couldn't get drawback. Okay. And so they thought they might have gone through to the calf and was just infusing fluids into the calf. So then oh, they pulled out at, or went to the other side and used, just tried again, I guess, and then mm-hmm. got it the second time. But, okay. So when it comes to in- insertion, one of the things I noticed that people have a tendency to do is they kind of just poke with like a, a finger or two around the site. Yeah. Instead of actually just... The tibia is really easy to find. Your mm-hmm. site for the t- the tibial site is so easy to find. You can actually like grab and manipulate that patient's mm-hmm. leg 
to where you're finding the borders of that tibia. Right. And then you palpate around it, like get your hand on it and actually feel that, that site. And once you find that tibia, like hold it. And then you just drill in the middle, just below, you know, the tibial tuberosity, that little bump yep. below your patella. And, uh, you move over immediately and it puts you right in the middle of that site. So instead of like poking, prodding, kind of being unsure, cause I, what I've seen with a lot of the failed IO attempts is going to uh, laterally like they're not moving medially enough mm. they're just pretty much dr- drilling straight into, into the, the tibia itself rather than into the uh, medullary ca- cavity yeah so <clears throat> well the way we were taught it was always like two fingers this way two fingers that way uh-huh. whereas what works for me is like yeah you, i take the i take the tibia between my yeah, thumb and index it, right? and i just split the difference and i'm right in the middle exactly that's what so. that's what i like to do too and that's why i always taught like um it was always weird but I'd, I'd pull up my pant leg during classes and be like hey like this is my tibia look at the border i can grab it right you can see it like don't be scared to touch your patient they're dead they don't give a fuck like yeah. just grab them <laughs> you know so uh i was always like put a big emphasis on that because like i always see people mess that up um for humor hum- he- oh jesus christ humoral i've only had two beers and i'm already doing- it's already <laughs> happening uh for the humoral site easy io or arrow recommends that you put their hand across yep. their abdomen and it does seem to help quite a bit. Like even with the guy who I took his gel arm and put across his abdomen yeah. when I drilled it in and it seemed to work just fine. So it does kind of protrude that anterior aspect of the humoral head out a little bit. So it's easier to drill yeah. into. There's that. You're also moving the bicep brachy tendon out of the way. So you don't drill into that. Oh, I didn't know that. And then the other one that they were saying in that class was if you can't add duck, you could also just um, pronate, rotate. Yeah. So the, what they said Thumb in to the, bum. the brochure was if you put their palm facing outward straight down. And then it will um, yeah. push it forward too. So it's like, oh, okay. I took that class with a bunch of like Cal Fire guys. They thought that was the best one in a full arrest because you're gonna backboard the patient to do compressions on. Yeah, uh, so in a full arrest, just don't bother with the uh, the humerus. Just go to tibia. Yeah, that too. <clears throat> you know, well, well, they were saying it's like if you intubate, you're right there in a good spot to do the humerus too. If there was only that one person. But. So I understand that uh, that thought process, but what I used to like proselytize was like. If you're the one doing IV meds and IO and stuff, have Get them down access. out of the way, yeah. you know, like, cause there is a lot of stuff going on up top. Like you have the monitor person, you have the compressor, mm-hmm. you have the airway. Like, why do you want to mud- muddy that up with another person at the, the head of the patient? Yeah. Like, have them down out of the way. Like it seems so much easier because they can sit down there, prep their meds, push them and they're out of the way instead of having like, but you know, for firefighters, like big shoulders trying to shovel in and, <laughs> and do shit. Like, yeah. you know, it's, it's more of a pain in the ass having them up top than, at the humoral site than than down at the tibia so i understand that like but if you're doing airway you're you're doing airway yeah, you're not yeah, gonna yeah. intubate and then pass that off and then all of a sudden do io2 and then push med like the, that's unrealistic yeah, yeah. you know so i i think uh the tibia side especially during cardiac arrest when there's so much shit going on is the best so is that you adduct the arm and then you're looking for the surgical neck how do you identify that you need to put like the crux of your hand like where the shoulder and collarbone is i don't know how to describe it on oh yeah they, they used uh there's images i didn't follow any of them they were supposed to like put your hand in between their shoulder and yeah yeah you can honestly just kind of palpate around the your anterior shoulder and you can feel it protruding forward and i just find that that little notch that little head of their bone when their hands cross their abdomen um and then you go in at a 45 like down into it hmm. this seemed to work well for me okay granted i've done it like twice but if it works they're saying you have to find like the surgical neck where it's like where the golf ball feels like it sits on the tee mm-hmm. and then you go two centimeters above that. Yeah, if you rub that. your thumb up the, kind of like the bicep, 
or in between the bicep and the tricep up that humerus, you can kind of feel it. Mm-hmm. But that's a, you know, somebody who's obese or, you know, a lot of muscle, it's going to be harder. Yeah. Um, the little hash marks on the IO needles. Those are every, are the, the initial one is a five millimeter. I told the black every, mark. Yeah. Or, yeah. Then they're 10, 10 millimeter marks after that. So they say if you put your IO needle through the skin to the bone and it's past that five millimeter mark, you should probably move up in IO length. So if like somebody's really obese or mm-hmm. edematous and you push in that needle and it goes past that black, the initial black line on the, like, let's say the blue, if you're doing tibia, you should probably move up to the yellow because it might not be deep enough. <clears throat> Which I thought I was like, oh, okay, there you go. Yeah. And same with like pediatric. So maybe they're in that in-between size or maybe they're just a chubby little kid. And you try that pediatric needle and you put it in like, okay, maybe I should boom up to a blue just in anticipation for the increase in size. Um, that's one of the, the big ones that I think people need to get comfortable with and get good at is pediatric IOs. Because when are we yeah. using those? Oh. When it's serious, you know? And I've seen <clears throat> on more than one occasion where the the person blew the first one. And, you know, for some reason on all my pediatric full arrests, I'm always like at the head managing airway so i can kind of delegate because i like to just you know i don't know i like to take over those calls yeah because yeah. uh you know for as much as i'm freaking out on the inside i can i feel comfortable running it mm-hmm. and uh it always drives me crazy when we can't get access because somebody messed it up you know it's like there with ios you you gotta just take your time be careful because you, you you have so many sites yeah yeah you know and we only have so many needles on on the box so they're not that difficult on kids people just get worked up and then Fuck them up is what I've noticed at least. Have you ever done that on a kid? No, no, I haven't. Yeah, so tibia site is the preferred site. They, do, I don't even think they they recommend going hum- humorous. I don't think so. Um, so it's the tibia site. Take the time to palpate their chubby legs and find the right site yeah. and use that that pink needle. Dude, um, the one time I saw a pediatric full arrest, the the doc was older, like super old school. So he just tubed and put meds down the tube, and we got oh Rosk. Oh shit! Yeah. What the fuck me then. So I was gonna bag him or bash him, but no. But I was works, like, it works, I guess. I was like, dude, I haven't seen that since like we the, the small chapter in paramedic school, and even then, we don't even do it anymore. I know. So. Yeah, you're supposed to dilute it and mm-hmm. put double your dose and quit uh, down there. Yeah, their you know lungs like that sounds crazy. Yeah. So that's what happened there, and then NICU ended up responding, and I think they got the line, but They're only like, after the, the rock. Yeah. <laughs> Did they were like, uh, what'd you do? Yeah. Because like, oh, uh. I was there, I was like, hey, did did you guys do an IO on that kid? And it's like, no, we gave meds through the, the doc gave meds through the tube. I was like, wow, that huh. does work. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. What but, else say about IOs? They're, they're super useful. Uh, oh, so I guess the actual insertion itself. Um, put the needle through their skin, touch the bone, yeah. pull the trigger, and start applying pressure. You don't need to go ham with their pressure. You don't have to just put Just the weight the of the gun? In. Usually just, yeah, the weight of the gun and your your arm is enough pressure and you'll feel resistance it, it just won't move at all and all of a sudden it pops in yep. and that's when you stop you don't need to go crazy you'll notice and as soon as you it's it's in hold the style or the the hub take the gun off unscrew your your stylet you know sharps it and then attach your your prepped lock yeah uh, if they're conscious prep it with two percent lidocaine so my my uh protocol is 50 milligrams of lidocaine and what I actually didn't know was that what? when you, if it's a conscious patient and you're giving the lidocaine, you're supposed to let it set in that 
um, IO site oh, for, for 60 couple. seconds. Oh, 60 seconds. Yeah, so you push it over 120 seconds, nice and slow. But like once you initially push it in, let it sit there for 60 seconds, let it actually start working, and then you continue pushing. Because uh, on an unconscious patient, if they're if they're dead or whatever, cardiac arrest, um, usually I'll draw back, I'll get that marrow return, and then yeah. I flush real hard. And once you flush it, it pushes all that marrow out of the way, mm-hmm. and then you get good flow to the vasculature. They said um, flow to the heart in the humoral side is only three seconds. Oh, wow. So it's like almost yeah, immediate, yeah. which is good. But honestly, the tibia is, as far as the absorption rate, it's, it's you know, was, five yeah. seconds, you know, it's, it's yeah, yeah, pretty, yeah. pretty damn close. So if you're going IVIO, it's, it's essentially the same thing. Yeah, that's pretty straightforward. Yeah. I, I love them. I think they're great. I think they're an awesome tool and they're they're definitely underutilized. Uh, even for myself, when we have one of those patients who has sh- shit uh, vascular access and mm-hmm. you say we're fiddle fucking with IVs and we can just do an IO. Maybe we'll pop one in next constipation just for the shits. Just for... <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Don't do that either. Cool, man. And then uh, we kind of want to talk about intubation too. There's a lot to say about that. So I know. There was a lot. So Go ahead. You you, you start us off. I, I'll, I'll kind of... Yeah. So, I mean, I wanted to bring it up because I, I saw the need. It was for like a, a COVID patient, the need to intubate. And like rapidly, the patient like just was like... I, I It wasn't my patient, but from what I heard from across the ER being halfway nosy was like the patient was doing okay mm-hmm. on like you know high flow two or whatever non-invasive and then just became altered and spo2 tanked so then they wanted to do an emergent intubation and same thing um they wanted to move them from it was a negative pressure room but they wanted a negative pressure room with the ante room so people can don and off the pappers so that when they intubate i just happened to be free and i saw the patient turn the corner and they were still prepping so i opened the door and someone uh, one of the supervisors yelled out, hey, the glidescope still needs to be set up for the doctor. And then uh, there was a couple nurses that wasn't really sure how to set it up. And so I was like, yeah. okay. So plugged it in, you know, had the glidescope. It's not a laryngoscope anymore, is it? Just a glidescope. So, well, because it- <clears throat> it's weird, right? It's just a floppy a camera and then you attach like the plastic. I was going to ask, what kind of glidescope do you have? Um, it's the one I've seen since like paramedic school, just the one on the little tripod. I know there's different models, but this is like the model that I've seen since medic school. So I have a feeling it's the the handle and the blade are plastic, and then the camera slides into the middle. Um, of the transparent plastic. Yes. Yeah, that's the one. Okay. So I don't know what model that specifically is. I, I have some exposure to the glidoscopes. I've used the Striker, which I think it's like a... I want to say it's like Mac something, but yeah, the striker version of their glidoscope. And then I've also used Teleflex, um, their glidoscope, which is awesome. So we're actually trying to figure oh, out yeah. which one. Have we're you guys made a decision yet? No. Uh, I think we're going to get the Teleflex. Okay. But <clears throat> we've had a handful of different ones. So, so that's, that's the more typical one you see in the hospital because it's a big. Device. Yeah. Oh. There's a little bunny in your backyard. Yeah. That was weird. That was cute. It's going to eat your fruit. There's a bunch of birds feeding in the lawn, I guess. I don't know. Uh, yeah, anyway. Yeah. So <laughs> back to, and it, yeah, so you just take the stylet with the camera and then the handle and the blade, the specialized blade for the mm-hmm. glidescope is, is built in. So then yeah. just figure out if it, a three or a four is probably going to do most adults. They're kind of similar to like, I think the max. Gotcha. Uh, anyways, I was just asking the nurse, you think the doc wants a three or four? And I just kind of got this deer in the headlights and I was like, oh, maybe that's a paramedic school thing. Like I, the, the. The knowledge or like the skills, like they just overlap, they blur together. So even that. So that's why I was like, oh, maybe you don't know. Um, yeah. So then the doc came in and I was just like, hey, do you want a three or a four? And he's like, okay, I'll get a four. 
so I, I put that on. And then with the glide scopes, you need to use the proprietary stylet with the brand because it's a rigid metal stylet that has to, I guess, curves the ET tube in a certain way for that. Yeah, style. so there's a there's a stylet <clears throat> that goes with that particular glidoscope. That's uh, it's super rigid, like unbendable mm-hmm. rigid. Yeah. So uh, you actually, when you insert the tube and you get to a certain point, it'll cause that tube to push into their larynx. So once you get to that point, you can advance it further to the point where it's supposed to. So you actually have to like slide your thumb up the tube. Oh, displace the, the displace the the stylet a little bit so it can inch in and then it's in place and you can remove it totally. But like you have to actually take it out that stylet, especially like toward their chest and bend it forward, like because it won't move or it'll fuck up the yeah, placement yeah. for the tube and stuff. So yeah, you have to be a little more cautious with that particular stylet. Nice. Do you ever get to use one at um, paramedic clinicals? No, not during clinicals. I never got to use a glidoscope. <clears throat> they wanted me to learn how to actually use the the standard laryngoscope. Mm-hmm. No, I did that too, but I'm pretty sure that's where I got because I, I did have experience with it. You don't displace like what was it the right to left upward movement to displace the tongue with the glidescope. You just go straight in. Would that be six o'clock or twelve o'clock? You just go straight in and curve back because of the the hyperangulation. Yeah. So even with so I was uh. In preparation, I was kind of watching some videos on glidescopes and stuff, trying try to make sure I didn't give it, send out any misinformation. But the, they're still saying <clears throat> they, they recommend the right to left. Do they? Yeah, because oh. um, if you just go straight in, then that tongue still has a tendency to fall over to one side. Oh, interesting. So if you go, you always go when anytime you're intubating, when you insert that blade, start from the far right side and sweep to that left side. That way you're you're sweeping that tongue, pulling it up and out of the way. Cause when you start in, inserting a little bit of force to lift, um, it'll pull that tongue out of the way instead of it falling into your field of vision. Okay. Uh, so I guess with the gladiscope, other than fitting into the, the handle, a lot of the preparation, does the doctor still do his ET tube prep himself? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's doing that himself. Um, right. so a lot of that was just identifying like if, and usually in the ER, you'll have RT setting up for him. But if you find yourself in that, it's just like, if it's not Glidescope, he's going to do direct laryngoscopy. You just want to make sure there's a stylet in there. Mm-hmm. And then I remember like the big points from school. Like you don't want to push that stylet past the Murphy's eye. Yeah. The, the big danger for that, um, for anybody who, has it, who doesn't know, is that the stylet can um, go out of the end of the ET tube or through the eye of Murphy and cause trauma to their, their airway. So you have it just before that. That way you have as much control of the ET tube as possible without causing potentially any trauma. Yeah. And then you'd want a 10 cc syringe, check the pilot bulb and the cuff at the end before mm-hmm. um, handing it to the physician or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, some other components of the ET tube, I guess we can get into um, the black band. It's not just there for looks. That's the glottic marker. That's where you actually watch the ET tube. As soon as that, that glottic marker, that black band toward the end of near the uh, cuff, Oh, yeah, it passes the cords. As soon as it passes mm-hmm. the cords, that's when you know you can stop because that's the glottic marker. And then they also have the the band that goes up the ET tube. Mm-hmm. And that's the, I forget the term for it, but it's uh, what allows it to be visualized on an x-ray. Yeah. And then obviously the the numbering and the markers, the measuring measurements mm-hmm. where you can dictate where, there's, where it's at at the teeth and stuff. What else as far as the ET tube is, is concerned? Um, uh, we do a lot of RSI in the ER, so I wrote down some of the... RSI meds. Talk to me. Yeah. Um, sedatives, we usually use the Tomidate, but you could also use Versed and Fentanyl. So 
we most commonly use Atomidate. Um, it's short acting because uh, it'll uh, rapid loss of consciousness. It doesn't create hypotension like some of the other drugs and uh, doesn't create res- respiratory depression. Uh, onset 30 to 60 seconds and lasts about seven to 10 minutes. But one of the things, man, was it, was it our old county or where I was working before that, but like you could use Versed in our, in the IFT protocols to like resedate an innovative patient. That was for our old ambulance company. Oh, uh, okay. So it wasn't written into our, the, the county's protocol, but is one of those things that our medical director said, as long as we can justify it in our paperwork and it's appropriate, he will absolutely write it off. Nice. And that was, and it was for said, like <clears throat> if you're in the midst of an IFT transport with a patient with a tube and all of a sudden they start coming conscious or bucking the tube, yeah. then they say, just give them the Versed, sedate them further. And you know, if you, they're usually, they'll be on a vent in that situation. Yeah. So, uh, that way they can maintain for the rest of the transport. Yeah. So Versed, uh, on sets one to two minutes, it'll last about 15 to 20 minutes, but that one you have to watch out for the hypotension. Yeah. And if they're ventilated, they said watch out for respiratory depression, but she'll be on a vent mm-hmm. by then. So um, another thing you give, I guess, is ketamine. Ketamine's the big one. Ketamine, yeah. Because that could be a sedative and a... Um, analgesic? Analgesic. I was like, I was like pain. <laughs> for pain. <laughs> Something about anal? I don't know. Yeah. So, um, so that one was two milligrams per kilogram, 30 second onset, 20 minute duration. So um, I did take, what, late last year, like the flight medic provider course. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and they were saying that with ketamine and the protocols, they just use that as sedative and analgesia. So then they'll use ketamine and like rocaronium or something like that. Oh, nice. Yeah, so so it it kind of eliminates a third step of finding pain management too. Mm-hmm. So they, they sedate oh, and manage pain and then they uh, paralyze. Okay. So uh, neuromuscular blocks, we got rocaronium and sucks. I was looking for stuff on VEC, but we don't use that too much, I think. And I couldn't even find the literature, but I think VEC is really bad for patients with impaired renal functions. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, and then a lot of the patients we were tubing at my first ER had like renal issues. They were like dialysis patients. Um, So, rocaronium would be like what? 1 to 1.5 milligrams per kilogram. uh, Rapid onset and lasts about 45 to 60 minutes, like 45 second onset. Mm. Um, And that was the, do you remember that like, what was it? Fasciculating and defasciculating and non-fasciculating. Do you remember oh, any of that? No, I don't. No? Um, Honestly, since medic school, because we just don't use RSI. Yeah, yeah. Like, I remember learning it. I remember being pretty good with it when I, we went through it. But since then, I don't. I, I remember I remember the names. Atomidate, succinicholine, VEC, and Rock. Yeah, yeah. And that's it. Dude, I just remember. I don't know why I kept just like a little like parcel of it because like I was so in- like fascinated by it. I was it. fascinated by it. Because I was like, I that was so cool. We can't do it here. But then like, you know, Seattle can. And it's like, but yeah, so like these ones, um, it just blocks the receptor site. So it won't depolarize the muscle as it paralyzes. So you won't see like the little micro twitches. Yeah. So it'll just paralyze. And then sucks, uh, same thing, one, uh, 1.5 milligrams per kilogram. It will depolarize the muscle as it paralyzes. So you start seeing like micro twitches. Mm. Most notably, um, I remember the dental anesthesia guy that from clinicals, like you, you'll see it a lot in the cheeks and the eyes. When you see the eyes kind of flutter, it's it, it, it's blocking. Yeah, so that was the one, the big test they would do in the OR was oh, they, that, they'd yeah. flutter their eyelashes. And if they didn't have any movement, they're like, okay, they're sedated. Yeah. And that, I still use that to like um, for my unconscious patients or like seizure, seizure. patients. Yeah. So I'll flutter or touch their eyelid. And if it's a legit seizure, it won't flutter. If it's they're bullshitting and it's like a pseudo seizure or they're being a little fuck, um, like an angsty little teenager who doesn't want to do a test. Yeah. You know, or got in fighting with mom and dad. 
they'll like you know like kind of squint or move their eyes and stuff i'm like hey, hey i know you're faking get the fuck up yeah <laughs> um so that onset's less than a minute and it's short acting only lasts uh, five to ten minutes okay yeah so that one that's just for induction and you probably need something else to help keep them paralyzed hmm. Um, post innovation. Push, push your sedative first, and then your paralytic. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Push that first. You're gonna terrify your patient. Yep. Um, post innovation. We use a lot of propofol. Um, that one usually the nurses in the air. We have a titration protocol, so it's you know start low and you titrate every. I don't remember fifteen or something like that until you meet sedation. You don't go full MJ or. What's that? Nothing. <laughs> well, I mean. <laughs> I don't chart that I went full MJ, <laughs> but you got to do what you got to do. Uh, starts at five mics per kilogram per minute. I think our max is of 80 mics per kilogram per okay. minute. Um, but the thing with that is um, it affects uh, blood pressure too. So the higher you go in dosing, their BP will dump. So then it's this balancing game. Gotcha. Um, and sometimes you, you'll max out and they don't even get sedated. So then we have to look at like a Versed drip or something oh, like shit, that. Really? Yeah. Um, but that one, watch out for egg or soy allergies. And then it's a 30, 45 second onset time for propofol. Um, and then I think it's because it's lipid based, so it metabolizes quickly. So, like mm. 20 minutes, it'll wear off. Oh, really? Yeah. Sometimes I'll use that on like uh, conscious sedation, moderate sedation. Yes. I've so. seen that for, you know, reductions and stuff for yeah. dislocations. Uh, so, so, yeah, they'll look like they're screaming and freaking out, but then they don't want to remember the incident. Right. It's so brutal looking. Um, and then one I haven't seen that often was Ativan uh, for post-intubation. So 0.05 milligrams per kilogram. Uh, it says here onset five minutes, which I was like, I think it works a little. I feel like yeah, it, works it works a little fast. sooner. Yeah. But then they said dose dependent that it would last six to eight hours. Damn. So I don't know. It's kind of a long time. That's a really long time. Yeah. Uh, and then one thing that I remember, which is kind of true. I don't really see it a lot in any of the ERs that I've worked at was once the patient's on propofol and they're sedated, um, we forget to medicate for pain. And so a big thing in the flight provider course was it's like propofol doesn't manage pain. You're just sedating them. So then they'll still have like elevated BP or elevated heart rate. They'll still have the physiological, the, the body is the physiological like hmm. effects to pain. So it's like a lot of times uh, the instructor was like, I'll show up for these transports and they're just on propofol and he'll just go in there and just give them a shit, like some fentanyl too. Really? And it really helps. Like you'll it's see their vitals kind of level off. Bit. Yeah. Hmm. So I would not have thought of that. No, so since then, like I've I've asked for you're a little more conscientious. A little more it. conscientious to be like propofol if they're still fighting it. Maybe like hey, let's maybe give them some fentanyl. Maybe no, I'll take I the don't. edge off. Yeah, hmm. that's a trip. That's so, crazy. I wouldn't even thought of that. Yeah. What else? I wrote down all that stuff. That I forgot, forgot a shitload. Yeah. Of that. I'm I'm being completely honest. Difficult airway. I think that'd be good to identify. Yeah. In so, any part. So one of the things I watched before we I came over was uh. The the typical airway analysis or like um, physical that a physician will do for a patient just kind of evaluate it whether this intubation is going to be um, good or bad. Granted, this is a little more of the clinical setting rather than the emergency setting because mm-hmm. we don't have that ability to assess whether a patient is going to be a difficult airway or not. We're just going to have to deal with it. Um, but things like um, a rigid or arthritic neck kyphosis so if you when oh, you try to tilt their head back yeah yeah and it, they don't have a lot of flat um uh, extension uh, or if they have kyphosis that's going to be a, a huge pain in the yeah. ass things like small mandibles or uh robin pierre syndrome what's that one do you remember that no it's when uh they have like that that uh 
It's almost like a regressed mandible. It's like oh. back and they have like that little chin. It's like a really bad overbite or no? Uh, really bad underbite. Oh, un- that's an underbite? Yeah. So it's like their, their mandibles oh, okay, depressed. Okay. It's like further back than it should. They kind of have like that weasel look to them. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, people. <laughs> From, uh, Robin Pierre yeah. syndrome. I'm not French. I don't fucking care. That's funny. Um, and then uh, Malin Potty Scale. Hey. Yep. Fucking nailed it. It was yeah. Uh, it was one to four. One is the best. Four is the the worst. That's right. Um, if you can see their uvula, the back of their throat, that's a one, and it digresses yeah, to a four, mouth. where it's pretty much all you can't see anything. Roof of their mouth or tongue, which is a four. That's a very poor uh, visualization. That's going to be a difficult airway. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing to check for is um, mandible extension. So if you can manipulate their mandible, or what you, know, you if the patient's conscious and talking mm-hmm. to you, like what the physician will actually do is they'll tell you to make your mouth into an underbite. So bring that jaw forward over your front of the teeth because that's checking your tempo mandibular joint Mm -hmm. and see how much uh, movement it has. So that's what we're going to be doing is manipulating that mandible when we actually use the laryngoscope and lift up. Yeah. So they want to see how far up it can go. So those were a few things that I saw that they would assess for. I also saw a good video of the placement that we put them in when we do intubate that sniffing position. Yeah. So a lot of people have a tendency to just think it's that tilt the head back slightly, uh, nose to the, to the roof kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. But it's also that lift up too. So it's that extension which, with the protruding forward, which I still feel like what the five, six times I've intubated in the field, I, we still don't have, I feel like the best environment for that. I still, I, no. I, I keep the gurney, if they're even on the gurney at the time of intubation, like a look, like a semi-fowler is like 30 degrees or less, but sometimes you're on the floor. And so, um, the, the most, most of the time I've been laying on the ground. Yeah. Um, like my first intubation ever. Are you getting rolled towels and stuff? Like, you know, Dr. Hallett no. was. So, <laughs> so, um, I, in the future, or I, I've have, I have used rolled towels uh, under their head to kind of get that good sniffing position. Mm-hmm. Now that I'm more experienced, my first one ever, it was out in the area where I'm working now, but it was when I was going through preceptorship and uh, it was like 115 degrees outside. So I was laying on poolside because the guy had drowned Ooh. and I got like, I think second degree burns on my elbows from laying on the ground trying to intubate this guy. Oh, wow. And uh, he was, uh, I think he was initially a dry drowning. So, you know, when uh, anybody who doesn't know, a dry drowning is when you're um, airway spasms and mm-hmm. it closes off your airway. So you don't actually get water into your lungs initially. Uh, it just suffocates you because you can't get any airflow. So his uh, larynx was like the size of a straw. It was so tiny. So what you saw? Was, yeah. Wow. It was almost um, none of the, the typical landmarks were 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 visible. So I act, that's the only one and only time I used the bougie because oh, I put nice. it through uh, the small, tiny little glottic opening because the tube wouldn't have fit otherwise. Yeah. yeah. Put it through. I didn't feel shit. I know you're supposed to feel like cricord rings. My yeah, was, heart was pounding in my chest. <laughs> I was so fucking nervous. It was my first full arrest, my first tube. I was terrified. Yeah, my yeah. arms hurt because they were burning. So I just put it in. I was like, okay, I, I can see the esophagus below it. That's definitely the, glot- or the glottic opening. I put the tube over it, got it in, and then I got perfect lung sounds and chest rise and stuff. So I was all stoked. But nice, you know, the whole like, oh, you're gonna feel the the cricord rings. I didn't feel dick. <laughs> I just like, I'm, was, I'm yeah. pretty sure that's it. So. That's how I felt. So oh, I used the so bougie nervous. once, yeah. and that was in Vegas, and I was still on my FTO time. But then my FTO decided to do his FTO time as a critical care medic. So oh. then he was getting FTO'd while I was getting FTO'd, and then <laughs> um, we went out to a seizure. 
uh, and then she was postdictal, and it was crazy. Same typical call, all the way in the back corner, master bedroom. Um, and then like we were, she was a fairly big lady, so we were just going to use the bed sheet to kind of mm-hmm. take her out. And then she started seizing again. And I was going to tell the whole call, but actually, I think we should tell the whole call. So she started seizing again mid hallway, and so my FTO is like, "I'll go get the meds," and she runs out to get the lock to like you know seizure meds out of the ambulance. Yeah, and um, and then. Uh, we get her out to the front lawn and he comes back and by the, it's at night. And by then he had the floodlights on. So it lit up the front yard and, um, he's like, here, I got the meds and I forgot what happened. I think our, like our arms or hands like just hit each other and he just depresses the plunger. And I was oh, like, no, I was like, okay, cool. Give me the syringe. Where's the meds? He's all, it's all over my arm. I was like, damn it. Let's just get her into the rig. <laughs> and, um, so get her into the rig. He draws up another, another dose and we give it IN. She stops seizing. We tube. And since we were on a CCT rig, um, the other FTO was setting up the vent. Oh. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, and she was a, a, a big lady, like had all the, like short neck, obese, Oof. like super difficult airway. And so that was when he told me to use the bougie. And even then, um, I couldn't visualize anything, but he's like, just go where, where you know it is. And then we had a fire come along. He uh, put crack pressure and he says he felt the rings. Like almost immediately, he's like, "Just go where you where you know it should be. It should be just above, out of your sight." And so I go in there. He's giving crike, and then he's like, "I felt it. You're in." And then that's like the only time I use the bougie. And then you know, I use the bougie as like a guide, and yeah, stuff like that. But it's like, yeah, dude, I didn't feel anything on my end. I didn't feel the, the yeah. Hitting if of the if you have a, a difficult airway to the point where you're using a bougie, I'm probably sure you're going to be shitting bricks. Yeah, I I will say uh, one of the things I I watched and I was a really big fan of is uh, EM Crit. That's a podcast, mm-hmm. but they had. I th- did I ever send it to you? Which one? I sent it to my EMS coordinator at work, but it was. Uh, I think they called it. The, the episode title was Kovacs Kata. So Kata is like what you do in practicing like martial arts. It's like a series mm-hmm. of steps, and uh, they had one for airways. And it was like first thing you do is you lift the patient's head, and then you give yourself cry pressure. You do a certain tilt and then you like insert the tube to a certain angle. And it's just like the perfect way of manipulating your patient to get a good airway visualization. It was really good. I, I really liked it. So we saw a decrease in amount of innovations over the last couple of years from my department. Mm-hmm. And I think people are just kind of newer medics seem a little more feel, fearful of it because they just don't have the experience, I think, or they haven't done it as much as you know, times past. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot of more people who are a little more weary to actually do it. And uh, I'm a big advocate. I, I fucking love intubating. Like yeah. I, I, well, wanna, I, like I want to the... keep it. I want to, yeah. I want to do it. So anytime I get a chance, I fucking, I'm the one pushing people out of the way at the head of the bed, getting ready to intubate. So yeah. With yeah. the advent of CPAP, we intubate less. That's so that's I mean, a big one too. I fall into that category too. I don't feel like I intubate as much as I thought I was going to when I became a paramedic. So. I think we we're better at managing patients who are uh, deteriorating before they get to the yeah. point of going into full respiratory arrest. Which it's, it's good for it's, it's good. good for the patient, but I mean, good for the then your skills, right? Like and now it's going to be a was it high risk low frequency skill? Yeah, but, I think um, it already was, but yeah. But anyways, what was the other so, thing? Oh, uh, facial hair, beards. I did difficult see that, airway. Yeah. yeah, was it face, neck trauma, broken teeth, and dentures? That's true. I, I I think I've only had to intubate one patient who didn't have their dentures in, and I don't remember it being particularly a problem. You intubated with the dentures in? Without them. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think uh, you, well, if they're saying if there's dentures, you should remove them. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. It made my life easier. <laughs> what else? Um, 
I think people should be familiar with like what the Mac and the Miller. So I'm I'm hey, a Mac guy. I've never used a Miller. If you use a Miller. Yeah, you're, just you're a antiquated and go back to the circus because you're a freak. <laughs> like nobody uses a Miller. Like, yeah. hey, they're for pediatrics, and even if then, like, don't be fucking weird. Just <laughs> use the Mac like a normal person. That's so funny. Um, they're just anatomy choices. So like the the Mac will fit in the vallecula to lift up the epiglottis like a trapdoor. Yeah. And then the Miller actually physically displaces the epiglottis to see the focal cords. Yeah. Um, have you actually used the Miller? No, I've I don't. Used it once, and it it's and it was in the OR. Mm-hmm. They want immediate exposure to it, mm-hmm. and uh, the tongue rolls back and forth. It's it's hard to control the tongue with it. Oh, really? Yeah. Like I was like, uh, I'd lean a little left, it'd go to the right. I'd lean, pull back to the right, it'd go left. I'm like, God damn it! It's it was it was a pain <laughs> in the ass. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm definitely a Mac Four type of person. Same. Which some doctors say that most people are just Mac Threes. Like it's a weird thing. Like I think there was there was a time where they just decided to teach paramedics or like anybody innovating just to go for a Mac Four. But like if you talk to a lot of older doctors, they're like Four. You don't need a Four. Every adult's like a Three. But I think they teach us a Four because you could always shorten shorten your insertion and make a Mac Four or Three. That way you're not fumbling for different blades. Agreed. So. Yeah. Um, that's usually my go-to. I got pretty used to using a Mac three for a long time for my, the first like three or four years as a paramedic, I oh, okay. solely used a Mac three, but then I kind of fell in, I had a couple big patients where I'm like, fuck, I had to switch blades. So I've, I've been using the Mac four. That's cause yeah, like you said, you can, you just don't have to go as deep. Yeah. And for, for my size and I have pretty long arms where I'm able to use my elbow as like a pivot point. Mm-hmm. So I'm not like, you know, those, those. I've seen doctors and stuff where they're like, got the McShakes trying to hold up the person's <laughs> head and stuff. You know, I, I'm able to utilize my forearm yeah, and, yeah. and my elbow to, to not have to muscle it, you know? So I guess kind of getting into technique, when you're holding a laryngoscope, it is, and anybody who's intubating knows it's a left-handed tool, mm-hmm. but the handle, like choke down pretty low on the handle. I like to have the end of my blade and my palm, like uh, just below my pinky, hitting kind of that that fat of my not fat i don't yeah fan. your fat your corn dog like fingers your corn dog fingers uh yeah it's like the blade like right at the yeah. bottom of my palm and that way i have a lot of control of the blade and then i put my thumb along the actual handle yep. so i can kind of manipulate it better i do the same thing i don't know how far i choke down on the blade but i just make sure that my thumb is touching the top or with like the bat like the, the handle bottom. yeah the bottom yeah, I, I, I go low. I go super low. And then I sweep right to left. Yep. Kind of grab that tongue. And then I aim the handle at their left foot and then I lift toward the ceiling. So, you know, one of the big thing is they don't tell you to rock back and forth. Yeah. Don't use the teeth as a fulcrum. Which I've seen. I have seen it too. Um, I didn't know what it was until uh, the, the patient didn't make it, but I was doing the post-mortem care. Uh-huh. And so we pulled the tube and then I just saw this like perfect V on the patient's front teeth. Oh, shit. And I was like, like what the fuck what is, is that? what is that it, it was just like that thing it's like foreign and then you're like i was like oh shit i know what that is now yeah yeah and then yeah so i guess they cranked back on the teeth when they were intubating this guy so so at uh the county hospital the teaching hospital where we did our or shifts mm-hmm. i had a little anesthesiologist she was four foot ten but she was an angry little asian lady oh i, I vaguely remember this story she was scary as fuck yeah and if you even came close to the teeth when you're intubating, she would slap your hand like, no, you you don't get to do it this time. Like, oh man. Uh, so like, like, I had just heard the horror stories. I'd never gotten yeah, slapped yeah. myself. But, uh, so when I went in there, I was like practicing the two days before I had my first mm. OR shift in the, 
intubation room and stuff on the mannequin. So I, when I got there, I was, I was pretty good. But I remember my first time in the OR because they had, I, I only had, um, I just used their mask and face shield mm-hmm. connect, connected. Yeah, you know? yeah. So I was a little nervous. So I was like breathing heavy, you know, up, and it fogged huh? up. Yeah. I was like, the next day I brought my, my own goggles <laughs> and so I could have a separate mask so it wouldn't fog. Yeah. I was so nervous the first one. I was like, <sighs> and I was like, oh fuck, I can't see anything. So I like, I, I was holding the learn scope and I like <laughs> cleared my little field yeah. of vision. I was like, okay, real fast. And I got it, but it was still yeah. scary. Um, what else? Yeah, uh, glidoscope wise, you know, I, I've had minimal experience with the different kinds, but I really like the Teleflex. The Teleflex actually has a the ET tube connected mm-hmm. to it. So when you go in, you get good visualization. All you have to do is push it forward and it angles it right into the to the glottic opening and down the, the trachea. So it's it's almost fail proof. Nice. Compared to the you know, Stryker has a lot of good products, but their their glidoscope to me was um, one, the screen itself was kind of crappy. Mm-hmm. Um, the image wasn't very good. You couldn't take pictures. You couldn't get a video. Um, it was just the screen itself compared to other products where you can like, you'd click a button, you'd insert the tube and you have a video and then you could attach that to your PCR. So like there's no question of whether or not you got the tube or not. Oh, you cause you have it. proof of the, uh-huh, it oh, was that's cool. cool. And, uh, and the Telflex just like it went in every time, you know, I can, I pride myself on being good at intubation and with the striker, I don't know if it was because the angulation of the blade, but like it had a tendency to push it down downward, oh. the ET tube. And I was like, uh, this is kind of frustrating. And you'd ha- you have to change your technique a little bit with the striker uh, t- um, kaleidoscope. So uh, with the Telflex, you know, it wasn't like that. Nice. Which was nice. I guess lastly, uh, you know, confirmation of, um, yeah. of two placement. This shouldn't be... Even a, a question anymore. Yeah, of course you still listen to lung sounds. Yeah, you look at, listen to lack of epigastric sounds. You're looking for chest rise and fall. You do all those things. But if you're not using waveform capnography, you're in the Stone Age. Yeah. Like honestly, like that is why we're losing intubations in counties across the United States. It's because some dickhead isn't using waveform capnography, and that tells you whether your tube's in place or not. Right. If it's reading a number, your tube's in place. If it's zero, it's not, and you need to pull the tube. If you're doing your your cardiac arrest, and you had a waveform, and then it drops to zero, guess what? Your tube got dislodged, dislodged. And, or it's blocked, or something, and you need to check your tube. Yeah. Like it's simple as that. If you're not using waveform capnography, you're fucking up. If you're using colorimetric capnography, you're probably fucking up a little <laughs> bit in the emergency setting. You know? Yeah. Like so, colorimetric, like fuck those old things. Yeah. Still use it in the ER. I know. And I, I don't mean, get it. Well, so, I, I kind of get it, but so the, it's still you know the roles are still segregated there. You got a bunch of departments and stuff. So the doctor will probably check, or the RT will be checking lung sounds for the doc. Yeah. But at least what you should be noticing is like you'll see the misting in the tube almost instantaneously, right? It fogs right. up, breath. There's nothing, and then once they release, it'll fog up again. Mm-hmm. You're looking for equal chest rise and fall. Um, and then yeah, they're still yeah. using they're still using color metric with and tidal. So initially they'll use color metric to confirm tube placement. And then, because it takes to attach to like the ER monitors, there's a module and then all this other stuff. And then you have to zero yeah. the module. Um, and there's only like a finite amount, I think, in the whole hospital. So if there is an innovation, they have to bring that module from the department. Oh. So I think they use the color metric to confirm tube initially, and then they'll attach them to the monitor. Gotcha. Yeah, we don't have that problem. Right. It's just, so uh, when I started working at the department, I'd watch that. Um, I can't, I listen to a lot of EM Crit. And it's a really good podcast. It's, it's very clinical. It's... <laughs> dense but they were talking about um the perfect bvm 
and they're talking about how like your BVM that's at the bedside mm-hmm. or you know the head of the bed should have already an NPA, an OPA for the average size adult. It should have your end title already connected. It should have your BVM inflated. It should have all oh. your stuff kind of prepped, ready to go. So you're not fiddle fucking with a bunch of stuff. So like once I started working there, I was like, hey, we should have our end title attached to the mask, ready to go. So that way we're not bagging and then pulling an end title from the monitor, attaching it, and then throwing it to the person who's bagging. Like when we have it already connected, throw it over to the person who's managing the monitor and you know, analyzing all the, the data on the monitor and they can attach it real fast. It's already there. It's good to go. So we all started attaching the, the end titles to the BVMs before we even get to it. Cause even if you're bagging a patient, you want to know their end titles. Yeah. Yeah. So That's I good. thought that was cool. Somebody actually listened to me, even though it was a pro B. What about what else? Tube tamer securing. Do you ever, do you do the C collar on your I tube don't. patients? No, I thought it was a good idea for a while, but it's, it's honestly just more cumbersome than necessary uh, at the time. So, I, I'll do like a towel roll and put it under their neck to kind of keep it in, keep it in place. Oh, okay. But, you know, if I put the tube in and I'm managing airway, I'm holding that motherfucker. Like, I'm not, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm not going to let it get dislodged. I like the, the Thomas tube tamers. Mm-hmm. I love alliteration as well. Um, I think they work really well. I've never had to tape one in the field. I, I think every department has the tube tamers. Yeah, we have them too, but then... RT brings the special one with the gel, so there's no skin breakdown or whatever. Yeah. Oh, that cool white one with the little... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one. Beige skin The thing. beige gel things? Yeah. yeah. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Anything else? I don't think so. Um, oh, probably another thing you might... I almost slipped my mind. You might come across, whether ER or in the field, cricoid pressure and burp. Oh, okay. So, so uh, we used to, AHA teaches and... You know, you hear frequently that we don't use cricoid pressure anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because of the bastardization of cricoid pressure. So what used to happen was people would push down on the cricoid cartilage to try to include the esophagus mm-hmm. to prevent gastric dissension, which would lead to, like, when you're bagging, it would lead to air going in the stomach and then throw up and just cause problems for your airway. So people used to you push down on it to include their esophagus. Instead of that proper technique where it's like slight pressure, backward, upward, right pressure. Yep. So that's burp technique. Backward, upward, right pressure. Um, they just like, you can blame us in the field, the firefighters who are just brutes. <laughs> they like put their palm on their throat and just shove it down. And it would occlude everything, including their trachea. Oh, so AJ's <laughs> like, hey, you guys are fucking this up. Let's just take it out of the recommendation. So part of that Kovax kata is... is um, cricoid pressure and what you can do and i i saw a technique that i liked was like you find it yourself right or you have your your um, assistant so like have somebody put their hand on their cricoid cartilage and then you hold their hand you manipulate it to where you see fit you get a good visualization yep. and then they hold it in place and i think that that would work perfect you know if if you have a good rapport with or uh, you trust your in the hospital it's usually going to be an rt assisting the yeah. physician uh, or if you're in the field and you just trust your partner you know i'd be like hey give me some cricoid pressure i'm going to i'm going to adjust your hand okay perfect just keep it right there good i think a big thing is just communication like if you have a partner that you trust and you can help kind of give you that cricoid pressure and, and or manipulate the head even like hey i need you to hold up their head and give me a little cricoid pressure while i go in with the lunderscope and have my et tube in hand have a, a technique don't rush yourself and have everything laid out as that you're going to need have your mcgills ready 
have oh, yeah. your ET tube set up, ready to go. Check your laryngoscope. Make sure that uh, the light is white, tight, and bright. All those things you want to check it. Uh, another thing I saw was like check it multiple times. That it turns on the light turns on every time, not just that first time. Then you're good. You know. Yeah. Get your shit laid out, ready to go. I always put my tube taper under their neck, already ready to go. So like once I get the tube in place, I can just throw it on and yeah. have to fiddle fuck with it underneath while trying to hold on to a tube. You know. Yeah, but you know some people will say that we don't teach cricoid pressure anymore but it's it's about how you use it right that was good i think that was you good no? you good with it i think so cool man um, anything else you want to add on intubation that's good do it just do it, <laughs> do it. no no i think that's good uh if you have any questions um you know always ask us and we're more than happy to try to answer anything you guys uh maybe we didn't cover something you want us to hear uh, us talk about it um in a future episode yeah you know, we can go back and discuss any questions i think we've been pretty good about answering questions and any listeners have sent us so yeah uh give us a shout out ig our gmail i think it's on our outro all right anyway we'll uh, catch you on the next one all right see you later all right thank you for listening to holding the wall like us at youtube instagram or itunes feel free to contact us at holding the wall at gmail.com or dms at instagram at holding the wall thank you to our sponsors and support us on patreon for extra content Hope to see you soon. Toodaloo, motherfuckers.